Thank you for joining us on Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. I'm sure that I am not alone in being someone who has been feeling stress with the whole combination of things that have happened in 2020. And I'm very excited to welcome from Barry University. She is the newly appointed Associate Dean of Graduate Studies for the College of Arts and Sciences and an Associate Professor of Psychology at Barry University, as well as the Faculty Advisor for the Psychology Club, Dr. Pamela D. Hall, Ph.D. Thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Ellen. We were very fortunate at Cox Media Group that you were able to, by a Teams meeting, speak to us about all of these things that are happening and how we can cope with what's going on. We talk a lot about the physical aspects of COVID-19 and things we need to do to protect ourselves in terms of hygiene, washing our hands and social distancing. What we don't talk as much about is how to cope with all of the stressors that are hitting us right now. And as a psychologist, you have a wider perspective than we do. I hear this phrase, COVID brain. I know it's something that affects people who have COVID-19, where they can't think clearly, but how does that impact those of us who don't have the disease? Well, for me, there are different ways in which you can define or describe what COVID brain is. And just like you said, if you don't have, if you've not been diagnosed with COVID, you can still have some symptoms of COVID brain. And I myself came up with my own definition of what COVID brain means to me based on my knowledge of what's happening to people and the relationship between the brain as well as the mind, like the neurological or nervous system aspect of how the brain affects the hormonal system during times of stress and then how that stress can then impact our thought and hijack our brain a particular area of our brain that we call the limbic system, which is our emotion center. You know, that's where we experience our happiness, our laughter, our joy, but it's also where our fear and our anxiety and stress is. It's, that's the emotion center, the limbic system. Now, once that limbic system gets overloaded, what can happen is then it begins to impact that other part of the brain, which is the frontal lobe. And that's where all of our decision-making and problem-solving, and ability to just make rational and reasonable choices comes in. So that's the connection between the brain and mind and how your brain, through prolonged stress, prolonged anxiety, can impact your ability to function. So on those days when we're trying to work and we just can't seem to focus on anything, It's that part of the brain. It's actually a physical thing that's affecting our emotions. Again, it's kind of a back and forth thing. It is. They're right. They go hand in hand. And and that's been like one of the biggest debates, you would say, like that nurture nature debate. Right. That's a big debate we have in psychology. What's the difference between the brain and mind? Well, the mind has more to do with our thoughts and our processing of information, like you said, and decision making. But that brain, man, that brain has more to do with just the biological aspects. And, you know, we we were talking the other day about how that brain, the hypothalamus, responds to stress. So at that moment when somebody's asking you to do something, that brain may start to trigger some hormones where you overreact and experience stress and anxiety and you get stuck. 
and you're not able to respond. Is that why many of us will immediately go for chocolate <laughs> to soothe us? <laughs> because I know that that helps increase the pleasure mm-hmm. centers mm-hmm. and it's an immediate Absolutely. relief. Uh, it doesn't ultimately solve anything, but in the short term, we get a little bit of a ah out of it. Right. Because what's sort of going on is like you say, in those moments of stress, two hormones are released, right? One is adrenaline and the other one is cortisol. And cortisol, what it actually does is it increases the sugars in your bloodstream and enhances your brains to use that that sugar to make you able to process and to think and concentrate. So that's sort of what you're doing. You're giving yourself a burst of energy. But it happens for us naturally as well, as long as we don't get overloaded by anxiety and stress. And that's what we really have to protect ourselves from as much as possible during this time of the pandemic. You know, we're feeling undue pressure and undue stress. But, you know, going back to COVID brain and one of the symptoms is that COVID fatigue. Oh, Just feeling, I'm tired. I'm like, I'm tired of doing the exact same thing every day. I'm tired of putting on this mask. I'm tired of not feeling like I have any control over what's happening in my life and the lives of people around me. So that leads to that fatigue as well. And that's what can also impact our levels of stress and anxiety and lead to that system overload. A lot of what's being described are things that happen to people on a regular basis throughout life. You move or you lose a loved one or you go through a divorce, things like that. So for a period of time, we experience stressors, but then over time, we learn to cope with them. They go away. This is the first time I remember in our lifetime, except for maybe 9-11, that we have all Mm -hmm. collectively experienced the same thing. And whereas with 9-11, it happened, it was done, and then it was all about, let's get the country back together and let's go out and get the bad guys. This just keeps going and going and going. Yes. And you know what's interesting about what you said, how this is something that we're all experiencing the same thing? I want to point something out to you. COVID is happening, but we're not all experiencing it in the same way, you know, because we're talking about that. If we bring in the idea that there are vulnerable groups out there, they're experiencing it on a higher level. Imagine that stress overload. I mean, the vulnerable groups are the ones who are being diagnosed, who's losing family members, you know, and those are black and brown people and indigenous people. So they're vulnerable groups. Our immigrant workers who are on the front line, our farmers, those people are experiencing it even at a higher level. Those individuals that have lost our jobs are facing possible eviction, trying to figure out how they're going to eat. So though we're all in this state of sheltering in place to some degree, it's impacting some of us on a much grander scale. And that's what's really, really, really sad about this whole thing and us not being able to help those vulnerable populations to deal with that stress and anxiety in a manner. Because what can we do? We would have to completely change our social paradigm to be able to fix that in the short term. And on top of those people who are facing it to a greater degree, you have the other portion of people who don't even believe it's happening. And for the ones who are experiencing it the worst, that's an extra stressor when you know that there are people out there saying, there is no COVID-19, what are you talking about? Just pick yourself up and get better. And it doesn't work like that. That's very unfortunate because many people, I'm not sure about those individuals who don't believe it exists. Something exists 
that's impacting individuals and causing them to develop these symptoms that's been associated with COVID. And something is causing over 200,000 people in this country to pass away. Right. And three quarters of a million worldwide. Yeah. Worldwide. Right. And that's, that exists. This is real. Yes. We know people who have passed away, but we also know people who beat the odds and survived it as well. And we don't talk about those numbers, but those are things that for me, when I have to wake up to try to deal with that same day routine and not get fatigued is I always do a gratitude list. And one of the things I'm grateful for is that I am still here. My family's still doing okay for the most part. And the people that I know, and I look at those number of survivors, and I go through that time clock and I look, I'm like, wow, lots of people are recovering. We've lost a lot of people. And that's what we have to focus on as far as this COVID is how do we not lose any more? What can we do to protect ourselves other than the hand washing and the cleaning? What can we do to manage our levels of stress and anxiety in a real way? Okay, what can we do? There are a number of things. One thing is I talk about mindfulness and meditation and breathing exercises, right? And part of what we really have to do is to not get overwhelmed, is to really try to find a way to stay in the present moment and to only do what you're doing at that moment, not let your brain just go over time and say, well, I have to do this, but then I got to do that in 20 minutes and I have this meeting and I have that meeting and I have to worry about the kids and stuff. You have to manage yourself in such a way that you can only do what you're doing at that present time. And what really helps with that is doing meditation or just doing breathing activities. So you have to really incorporate that. One of the things we don't realize about meditation and the benefits of meditation is that if you do it correctly, you're actually sending oxygen to your brain. And when you do that, it's providing you with more clarity of mind. So that's very powerful. Also, just walking, getting outside, walking running, getting that sun because that sun gives us energy. It gives us that vitamin D and just so many other things that we can do to deal with stress and relieving stress. Affirmations, positive affirmations. People say, well, you know, I don't feel too positive right now. If you're alive, if you're breathing on your own, if you, for goodness sake, still have your job, If you have shelter, if you have food, if you have clothing, if you have transportation, all the things that are really, at this point in time, luxuries, that's a gratitude list. So being grateful for what you have and where you are is helpful. So mindfulness, gratitude list, vitamin C, but also I myself have been doing herbs and actually taking specific herbs that for me have shown to protect your immune system. And you're hearing a lot of talk about that right now. A lot of people saying, well, use your ginger, use a lot of garlic, but there are actually teas that I drink that are protectors of your immune system. So I do the physical thing, but I also do the mental thing and the spiritual thing by way of meditations and affirmations. And I also, one of the most important things is to esteem others higher than you esteem yourself. If you want to feel good, do something for somebody else. It always brings you joy. You know, as a professor at Barry, I teach a lot of service learning courses. I send my students out in the community and primarily they work at the Haitian Youth Community Center of Florida, which is a Head Start site. And they work with little kids. And in the beginning, when they start, they show a lot of resistance. 
They're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Why do we have to do this? And by the end of the semester, they have so much gratitude when they talk about, like, I can't believe that the kids, when I come to the room, they come running to me and they give me hugs. They're so happy to see me. And that makes me feel good. And I'm like, yeah, that you don't realize what you're doing for those little people by just showing up on a repeated basis. So when we do something for the other people, we're doing it for ourselves because we are really a reflection of one another. When we're in a situation where we're not supposed to be near people physically, how can we do for others? Contact those organizations that you're working with. Contact the food bank, Feeding South Florida, and ask what kind of donations you can make. Adopt a school. Adopt a classroom. And because our children are not back in school and they're still doing this virtual education, there are a lot of children who don't have computers, laptops, tablets. Their families might not even have access to really good Wi-Fi. You may be able to help by just making those type of donations. Kids love science. STEM is a big thing that's going on. They're like science kits that you can get and you could donate to a classroom so the kids can do some hands-on activities when they're at home. And that's going to help in a lot of ways because if you give those kids some science and some hands-on activity, because they like to see things, but they like to touch things and manipulate things. And if you allow them to have those type of STEM activities, you're occupying that time. Right. And then think about that parents that's trying to get some work done. Right. And how much harder it is for them when they're worrying about what their kids are going to do. And at the same time, dealing with kids who are restless and want to go outside and want to go play with their friends. And who knows, maybe give one of them a a STEM set. Maybe one of them will come up with the vaccine first. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, our next great scientists are right at home right now. Uh, So true. You know, our next great historians, our greatest writers, movie producers, they need somebody to reach out and do support with them. Another thing that I'm doing this semester is because I can't be with the children at the Head Start site is that they have a Google Classroom so that you can actually teach them virtually. Make appointments with the parents that have the kids to show up online and do activities with them. You can volunteer for a classroom and say, hey, I want to work with your class virtually. I can come up with some activities, some lesson plans, and I'm going to give you a break today, right? Yeah. You can adopt some parents. I mean, think about all your friends that have children. If you don't have children who might need a break, and you can say, I'm going to take them off your hands for an hour. Okay. I'm going to meet them virtually, and I'm going to do some activities with them virtually. I'm going to send a kit to them, and I'm going to have it, and we're going to have some fun games that we're going to do. Okay. When you talk about these ways for us to stay in the present moment, breathing activities, affirmations, when we're feeling that fatigue, it's hard to say, okay, I've got to do something positive. I'm just going to go outside because what happens is you say, I don't want (laughs) to. So I'm guessing that the more you do it, the easier it becomes. But how do you make that first step to doing it? One thing we have to remember is that you have to cut yourself some slack because what is happening is beyond anything we could have ever imagined. Cut yourself some slack. Don't be hard on yourself. Just understand that what you're going through and what you're feeling is real. And it's okay to feel that way. What's not okay is staying stuck. So 21 days it takes to create a habit. If you have a phone, set a timer on your phone or alarm on your phone and say every day at this time, I'm going to take a 15 to 30 minute break and do some exercise or I'm going to take a walk. 
or I'm going to set some meditation on in the background and I'm going to do some breathing activities. If you just do that 21 days in a row, it's going to click for you. And each day you'll feel a little better. So it gets to the point where you'll want to do it. Right. That's what had to happen for me. Because for me, like I do my affirmation in the morning. I get up and when I go to brush my teeth and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I always say good morning to myself. Yeah, I say good morning, Pamela. I love you. And I appreciate you. And I've been doing that for years now. Something just said, you got to esteem yourself too. If you're going to give to others, you have to give to yourself. No matter how you look, how you feel, you're still going to be with yourself no matter where you go. So you may as well love yourself and love on yourself. So I always do that. And that was like one of the first things I started to do. And then it it spread. I was like, now I need more. I got to do something else. So meditation became a part of that. And then the affirmations became a part of that. So you can build on it. And the more you build on those type of things, then the more you're going to want more of it. But you have to start. You got to take that first step. And gratitude is how you take that first step. You say, I'm still here. I still have an opportunity for success. What am I going to do today to make myself feel a little bit better and feel some sense of control in a world where we feel as if we've lost complete control? Okay, so I'm going to urge our listeners today. The next time they walk into a room with a mirror to look in the mirror and say, yes. hello, me, yes. I love you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And if nothing it. else, it'll make you laugh. And laughing is always good. <laughs> <laughs> good for the soul. Yes, do that. That's a great start. Ellen. that's really, really a great start. OK, now for people who feel that they need someone to talk to, you are the owner and operator of Black Healers Network. You're also the president elect of the Association of Black Psychologists. If someone feels that they need to speak to a professional. What would you recommend they do? Who should they call? There are so many places they can reach out to. If they're local, the Association of Black Psychologists, South Florida chapter, they can email me and I can get them in touch with one of our therapists. And the email address is info, I-N-F-O dot A-B-S-I-S-F-L for South Florida at Gmail. Dot com. Now, we also have the National Association of Black Psychologists, which is www.abc.org. They can go to that website. They can also contact the American Psychological Association, which is www.aba.org. If they're from the Latinx community, there's a National Latinx Psychological Association, which is www.nlpa.org. WS or contact me, Dr. Pamela Hall, at my personal because I'm here representing my whole self, which, like you said, is the LLCs, my organization, Black Healers Network, ABCI, South Florida People of Color, which is a racial healing organization, and then Barry University. So I represent all of those to make myself complete. So if they would like to reach out to me, they can contact me at Pamela, which is P A M M. A-H-64 at gmail.com. I'm committed to doing whatever I can to help heal whoever I come in contact with. And I just really hope this has helped someone. Even if it just reaches one person, then I feel like my day has been worthwhile. So that's how I find time, by just giving to others. Because I see that there's the reciprocity in that. There's a proverb or, or saying in Africa, the word is Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U. 
And Ubuntu means that I am because we all are. That's my motto. And that's how I live my life. I am because you are. And without you, Ellen, I, I don't exist. And if we can start to think like that, especially during this time, and start seeing each other as a reflection of ourselves, then we can get through this. That's a beautiful saying. I'm Ubuntu. I am going to add that into the list of affirmations and the gratitude list and the good morning, I love you. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and once again, your direct email is PAM. M-A-H-6-4 at gmail.com. And the other easiest one to send people to is the Association of Black Psychologists. That's info.abpsysfl at gmail.com. I can't thank you enough for sharing your knowledge and sharing your time and sharing your spirit. Please know that your work is impactful in the extreme. And I thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And I thank you. And I'm glad we had this time together. As am I, Dr. Pamela D. Hall, Associate Professor of Psychology at Barry University, and now the Associate Dean of Graduate Studies for the College of Arts and Sciences. Your work in community engagement and social justice for today is fulfilled. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Take you too. Yourself. All right. Peace. Joining us now is Emanuela Jean-Etienne. We spoke just a couple of weeks ago about filling out the census. We're going to move on now to voting because we are a week or so away from the deadline to register to vote October 5th. Emanuela, tell me, who are you working with to make sure that we get people to register to vote and then go out and vote? As you know, I'm part of Florida Counts, and we did a lot of census work. So we have pivoted, actually, and we have a Florida Counts Vote 2020 initiative. So we are a statewide nonpartisan initiative that is formed by nine philanthropic and nonprofit organizations throughout the state of Florida. And our goal now will be educating and encouraging communities with low voter turnout to participate in the 2020 general election. So we'll provide robust voter education so that voters know their voting rights under Florida law and ensuring that they have accurate information to reach all communities, including that voters know how to check their voter registration status and how they can track their vote-by-mail ballot. So the nonpartisan group will have a one-stop solution where voters have access to a step-by-step -step guide regarding vote-by-mail preparedness, and Florida residents can register to vote, request a vote-by-mail ballot, and look up their early vote and election day locations. And they can access it by visiting Florida Count Vote 2020 website, which is flcounts.vote. That's simple to put everything in one place. Now, the deadline to register is October 5th. Is that also the deadline to make any changes you need to make before you go and vote? Yes. The October 5th deadline is the deadline to do all of that. And if you would like to request a vote-by-mail ballot, you can do that no later than 5 p.m. on October 24th. We have so much confusing and conflicting information being thrown out this year. Every nightmare scenario you can think of. So how can we assure people that their vote will count and it'll be counted accurately? First and foremost, we do need to have faith and trust in our democracy. And to do that, we need to be an informed voter. So ensuring that we know exactly how to ensure that 
our ballot and our vote is counted, and then ensuring that members of our community, our friends and family, also know the proper way to not only register to vote, but request the vote by mail ballot and to return it or have the accurate information to vote early on election day. When we're talking about vote by mail, is there a mm-hmm. difference between an absentee ballot and a vote by mail ballot? They're often used interchangeably. However, some election officials have started using the term mail-in ballots or vote by mail because they're expanding the absentee ballot eligibility during the pandemic to include people who are not actually absent from their precinct at the time of voting. So when we're thinking about absentee ballots, we are usually thinking about the military or anyone who's overseas or college students who may be in different when they're voting, but the term mail-in ballot seeks to kind of expand the eligibility. Even if you're in your precinct during the election period, you can still request a ballot and vote that way. And again, you said the last day to request a vote-by-mail ballot is the 24th of October? Yes. So Florida Council is suggesting that you request it no later than October 10th, given all of the concerns with USPS. But the official date is no later than 5 p.m. on October 24th. Is there a recommended date by which you should return it to be sure that it reaches the supervisor of elections in time to be counted? The suggested time frame is to mail it out 10 days before Election Day. If you can't do that, you can also find the locations where you can drop off your vote-by-mail ballot, or you can drop it off directly to the supervisor of elections office. And during early voting period, you can actually go to those locations to drop off your vote-by-mail that way. You don't even have to wait in line. It's the same locations as early voting will have boxes for drop-off mail-in ballots. Absolutely. And in some locations, they have a drive-by drop-off location, so you don't even have to get out of your car to drop it off. Someone will come in, verify it for you to your car, and then you can submit it that way. We don't always get a big turnout in midterm elections and for local elections. Why is it so important for people to exercise their right to vote? When it comes to midterm elections and local elections, the people that we place in office are the ones who make decisions that impact our lives on a more intimate level. They are the representatives whose decisions most readily impact our direct environment, whether that comes down to funding or particular laws and policies within our state and local municipalities. So when it comes to midterm elections and local elections, it's important for us to be informed about who they are and what they represent. Do we trust them? Do they have our best interests at heart? We know that presidential elections are huge, but it's just as important to vote in midterm and local elections because you're voting for state representatives, your state attorney, your public defender, and your clerk of courts and supervisor of elections. So these are the positions that will impact your day-to-day life and your environment. So they are critical as well. What is any place that you can recommend a website or an organization where we can get accurate information about the candidates and about the issues. So you can visit your supervisor of elections website and pull up a sample ballot that way to get accurate information about the candidates. Another thing that you can do is visit vote411.org 
which allows you to put in your address and will pull up a sample ballot and usually have more information about the candidates as well as information pertinent, so whether there's amendments or anything in your area. And can they explain, because sometimes, you know, we get those amendments and they're written with like double and triple negatives and legalese, or it's three sentences out of an amendment that the original version is a whole page. Who can explain that to us? (laughs) That is the truth, to be honest. So I would direct people to our website, www.flcounts.vote. There we'll have resources for people who are researching and want to know more about what's on the ballot. But also you should find uh, trusted community voices who typically go further to explain what the issues are and how they'll impact you. For example, the League of Women Voters usually puts out what the amendments mean and how they might impact you to find more information about what's on your ballot and what it means. And they're nonpartisan. They'll just explain exactly what it means. And if you vote yes for this, this will happen. If you vote no, this will happen. So they are a great resource. If someone decides to vote in person, what identification do they need to bring? That is a great question. Florida accepts a few different forms of identification. Your driver's license, if you have a Florida ID, if you have student identification, and then there's also employee IDs issued by any branch, department, agency, or entity of the federal, state, and county government. And you can actually also bring a debit or credit card. Oh, great. Okay. How can Mm -hmm. someone be more involved and what is the benefit to really being up close and personal to what a difference it makes? I would say the very first thing that you can do is find local organizations, local nonprofits that you trust and engage with them. I know a lot of organizations right now are definitely going virtual, posting information about elections online, but also going to be involved in the political process because it's a form of civic engagement that gives us meaning and purpose. Right now, when it comes to our healthcare, when it comes to the state and future of our community and our state, we are looking for ways to channel that energy into something meaningful and impactful. And what easier way, what more impactful way to do that than to vote and encourage others around you to get involved in the political process. And one other way that I would recommend for people is consider being a poll worker. They have all sorts of different positions that they need filled, and it's paid work for a day. So why not? You can go to the Supervisor of Elections website in Broward or Miami-Dade and get the information. Broward is BrowardSOE.org. In Miami-Dade, go to MiamiDade.gov and follow the links to the elections website or IamElectionReady.com. If someone still has questions about anything to do with voting, where's the best place to get answers? So I am going to plug one more time, www.flcount.vote. And then from there, you can also visit your Supervisor of Elections website. And if you have more specific questions, you can visit vote411.org and pull up your sample ballot and figure out who's on your ballot for your county. I can't thank you enough for, first of all, giving your time to the process and working to ensure that everyone who has the right to vote uses that right and is enabled to do so. What is your website or phone number for Urban League of Broward County? 
our website is ulbrower.org and our phone number is 954-584-0777. Awesome. Emmanuelle Jean-Etienne, Community Relations Coordinator with Urban League of Broward County, one of the nine philanthropic and nonprofit organizations involved with the Florida Counts Dot Vote 2020 initiative and also Florida Counts, which is for the census. One more reminder, three days left to fill out your census, which you can do at 2020census.gov. Thank you so much for your time and for all your great information. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. Have a great day. You too. I'm Ellen Jaffe. You've been listening to EZ's Community Focus, looking at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. If you'd like information about the program or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join us again next Sunday at 6.50 for an all-new edition of EZ's Community Focus. Have a great day. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.